This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trev? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jeffrey Harlan, a.k.a. Mr. Ataz. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, but uh, you know, I'm getting a little bit uh, too much attention when I travel back and forth in time these days. You know, uh, you know I'm starting to get some Tholians chasing after me. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Any Suliban in your in your rear view? You see any? Uh, not yet. Not yet? Okay. Well, Tholians, yeah. We, not, we need to maybe steer clear of those guys anyway. You know, they... They're no joke, and, you know, it kind of hurts my ears. Exactly, exactly. If they when they're You can't tell if they're talking nice or if they're griping at you. You can't really tell. You know, it's just, it all sounds the same. Also, Boomers, our guest for this show, is new to Warp 5, but we've been discussing having him on since December of last year. And it's been going on and on and on. Seriously, it has been since December. But we finally have got it going here. Today, we're going to welcome the host of Melodic Treks, Trek FM's show dedicated to the music of Trek. Of course, I'm talking about Mr. Brandon Shea Matala. Welcome aboard, Brandon. Hello there, Floyd Dorsey and Jeffrey Harley. Oh, but... <coughs> that just killed my throat. <laughs> that was my Tholian impression. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, wow! Hi, was, how's it going? <laughs> wow, I was not expecting that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yes. Um, so, wow. Okay, that's that's going to be hard to follow up on. So, <laughs> hey, uh, Brandon, tell us a little bit about your Enterprise fandom. I mean, we've we've heard you on melodic tracks, and we've actually been talking since, like I said, since December, or maybe even before that, about coming on Warp 5, talking about Enterprise. So when did you start getting into Enterprise? And just tell us a little bit about your fandom. Well, I watched Enterprise when it first ran, like the whole way, all four seasons. Um, and I I enjoyed it. It was Star Trek. Um, but I, I really think I was suffering at the time of the franchise fatigue that people talk about. And so I bought the DVDs when they came out and I watched them once again. And, and that was it. So season four came out on DVD back in 2005, I think it was. And honestly, that was the last time that I watched Enterprise. And because of the 50th anniversary rewatch project that uh, we're doing here on Trek FM, I actually have watched Enterprise again for the first time in 10 years. And I really, really enjoyed it this time. Maybe it was because I was watching it fresh, but I haven't even watched like Next Generation in about a decade or the original series in about a decade. Because after Enterprise went off the air, my my fandom just kind of died. There was no Star Trek there to keep it going. So it just kind of went by the wayside. So I discovered Trek FM last July. And and uh, with this rewatch, the first thing that I started watching all the way through again was Enterprise. And it was a real joy. And uh, I found a lot to love in this series once again. So yeah, it's it's uh, definitely in there. It's not my least favorite series, but uh, you know, D Space Nine is my favorite for sure. And, and Enterprise. Uh, Enterprise is definitely in my... I'd say it's probably my fourth favorite of the of the series. So nice, 
Okay. Welcome to the show. Yeah. And I've been looking forward to doing this commentary as well. I was I was a little confused at first when we decided to do this. I mean, I don't know why you wanted to do this Deep Space Nine two-parter, but I mean, I love Deep Space Nine and this episode when Cisco goes back in time to the uh, the Bell Riots, is it's a good one. I like it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's make sure that we, we've got it on the right spot here. I've got my Enterprise Blu-ray in. So you might want to, yeah, you might want to check your file there and make sure you got it you're straightened out. Okay. I thought we were doing the commentary for past tense. Uh, uh, well, actually, we're going to be doing future tense. Oh, no. Sounds like a grammar lesson, but it's not. <laughs> oh, goodness. I, okay, give me a second to switch out my disc here. I had my season three of D Space Nine queued right up here, but uh, I, can, I can just fix that quick here. Yep, no problem. So, yeah, boomers, uh, for today's show, we're actually going to try something new, an episode commentary. So I look back and... and I have listened to all of the Warp 5 episodes, and I didn't see that Warp 5 has ever done a commentary before. The commentaries are popular on other Trek FM shows. Uh, going down, like To The Journey has done them, Earl Grey, uh, Standard Orbit, and The Orb. So the way I was looking at it is Warp 5 is the only one that hasn't gotten into the game yet. So we're going to get right into the game this time. So listeners, you don't have to watch the episode to listen to the show. Some of you may want to pause and get your DVDs or your Blu-rays or your Netflix or however you've got it streaming, maybe so you can follow along. But if you're like me, you'll probably listen to it in the car or maybe at work or something like that. So what we're hoping that we can give you the commentary through it. So you maybe you don't have to watch it if you've watched it recently. So what basically what the rules are going to be is I'll say three, two, one, play and on play or by clicks and we'll get this thing started. So three, two, one, play. It looks almost like a torpedo. <laughs> it's an interesting open for this episode yeah. because they just, they're there already and like nothing mm -hmm. has happened, you know, so like we don't know what's going in. We're just jumping right into the scene. Here's the ship. We don't really know what it is or what's going on. I know it's really hard, cold open. Like I was kind of thrown back a little bit when I watched it again this morning. Yeah. And it doesn't even really look like uh, the traditional ships that we see on the show. Yeah, it's round. It's like it is. It's like a torpedo. You got it. So uh, this was—I actually proposed this idea to you guys because this is my favorite episode of Enterprise. I love this episode a lot, and uh, I'll go through a couple of the things in it. But to me, this episode screams prequel, and there's just so many things in it that I love that make me think of other Star Treks and other Star Trek stuff, especially in the original series. But um, yeah, I really love this episode a lot. And it also dovetails into the Temporal Cold War really nicely. Mm -hmm, yeah. I had read on Facebook where someone mentioned that this ship reminded them of something from another sci-fi series, but I can't recall what that was. I don't know. Hmm. Sequest. Maybe. It's like the subs. <laughs> Possibly. So here we go. We've got uh, Captain Kaboom over here getting his uh, phaser. Don't wait on the engineers with a blowtorch. Let's just get right in here. Okay. Yeah, definitely a ship that uh, the the name is uh, some uh, uh, acronym of some sort, uh, right. you know, like a, a DSRV or something like that. I hope that wasn't a gas tank, because, <laughs> man, that would not be cool. This is the first time he's ever seen this, seriously. See, I work in a, a steel mill, and I've worked in different plants, right? And so we're very strong about safety and whatnot. And it's like they're just opening this ship, right? And it's like they've got no protective equipment, no gas filter on their face. Like, what if there's, like, some nauseous gas inside Wait, of there, right? They can't scan in there. It's like shades of Guy Fliegman. Right. I mean, you can actually see the stuff. There's something coming out of there. It smells bad. That's something not you shouldn't probably be breathing. I don't – I'm just, you know. Can we get at least jump in there Can we no, at least get a Spock no, shower curtain protection. suit, you know? Yeah, like it's all foggy in there. Like this is like, like what happened to this guy? Like this thing exploded inside, right? Like we, he's breathing in burnt people. And we're checking this out. And the burnt person in question. I kind of like the effect though yeah. with the fogginess, the smokiness kind of, you know, gives us the... the I like well that little done. zoom in. Yeah. And a little zoom into the face is great. We got some haunted house effect going here. See, the first time I watch it, when she says he's human, I never really understood the relevance of it. They talk about it later where it's like, hey, now this is the farthest that any human's ever been, right? Yep. So it's it's kind of neat. I didn't catch it the first time. There's the mummy poster. Boris Karloff. 
Mm-hmm. Are we gonna sing? It's been a long um, road getting from there to here. So yeah, like right now during the credits, uh, just just serious, like you said earlier about the prequelness of it. It's such a prequel that they haven't thought about biological agents, you know, possibly in the air on here. <laughs> you know, at least Spock wore a shower curtain. You know, I mean, you could scratch your nose under it, but at least he was wearing that thing. You know, this was a chance. We could have... Yeah, you know, that darn Tormolin. <laughs> <laughs> so while this theme is playing, I'm going to pipe my own show here. So Melodic Treks episode 37. Uh, it's actually called Faith of the Heart, and I actually did a short episode, and I played six different versions of the Faith of the Heart song. So there's the two versions that you hear in, in the show, the season one and two and the season three and four. Um, there was a Dennis McCarthy instrumental version for some end credits from the first episode. And then I played the Rod Stewart version, and then I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but there's two different versions by women uh, that were sung. And I, so I just play all of them, and it's 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 kind of a neat little episode, and I got a lot of downloads from it. Yeah, I knew about the first four before that episode, but uh, I didn't know about the last two. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, that opening sequence, that is, it goes with that song. If you'll just stop and listen to the words, it really, that's an awesome sequence. Yeah, tell us age at the time of death. Apparently, you are not the first. I just watched Distant Voices from D Space Nine. He looks like old Julian Bashir. <laughs> we got a cameo and didn't know it. Okay. <laughs> this is Julian Bashir from the future. Oh, I hadn't noticed the lighting before, the darker lighting. That's an unusual uh, autopsy. Is it? I, I would assume they'd want all the lights on in the room. There aren't any ships aboard. But then it's not spooky. That's true. I just noticed that. I did, I've did. i watched this, I don't know how many times. I just now noticed that. Kind of going along with the haunted house theme. Must be ship's night. They dim the lights. Uh, so this right here is my first reference why this screams prequel to me. When they say Zephram Cochran, what's the first thing you two think about? Oh, the original series. Yeah, Metamorphosis. Yeah. Bam. Instantly, right in my head is Metamorphosis when I hear that. And so I love it. It puts a smile on my face every time I think about that. I don't think about First Contact when I think about Zephyr Cochran. I think about Metamorphosis. Yeah, I'm thinking, nope, you got that one wrong because we know where he ends up. <laughs> but it's just, just with one word, one name like that, it just conjures up a whole episode of the other of the original series. And so that's what I think the prequels should be doing. You know, and that's what this show should be doing throughout its whole its whole run. Exactly. I don't see how I could have made it out this far. Well, that's interesting. You think there were a does. bunch of mysteries from the original series that didn't get solved until Kirk's time. They could have set them up in the show. Mm-hmm. That's true. You got, like they could have set up. Uh, um, they do in the books a little mm-hmm. bit, right? But the uh, uh, Operation Annihilate, the with Deneva and those those mm-hmm. pancake things, they could have done that. So, so much they could have done. Yeah. They're trying to figure out how it goes. Yeah. Maybe it was a torpedo. Another one that was a really subtle one that they set up was a piece of the action because when Travis visited the mm-hmm. horizon, he had the book in his quarters. Yep, you got it. It's possible the ship you found was launched from Vega Colony, but they're a long way behind. I didn't notice that for a few viewings. Like yeah. It was a while before I noticed that. And they picked the that up again in the books, too. The wonderful Vaughn Armstrong, man of a million faces on Star Trek. Yeah, I once uh, had a few drinks with him at Quark's at uh, Las Vegas. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. I wonder... I had just come back from Iraq. It was... Uh, I was at the convention, and he was down at the bar. So, Von Armstrong making an appearance on the view screen. I wonder if you get paid the same if you're an actor and you only appear on the view screen. Probably. <laughs> well, he's still acting. I, I asked... Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what's the guy's name that played uh, Shran? Um, Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs. Like he got paid double for that D Space Nine episode where he was Brunt and Wayun in the same episode. Nice. All right. Yeah. Now imagine uh, Brent Spiner in the one episode where he was three characters in one. Okay. I think he only got paid one though. I like. I like this. I like. We're digging in. We're finding some organic circuitry. So we're looking at like Voyager getting ahead of that uh, bioneural gel packs. It's just an odd that place a, to have it. Another good reference. Yeah. Oh right. It's kind of an odd place to have it though, knowing what's underneath it. You know, I think of Alien when I think of this. When uh, the doctor on Alien like dies and they got those weird tubing and that weird milky colored liquid. I don't know. Mm. That's what I think of when I see that. But it couldn't be permanent because look what's underneath it. You know. Yeah, the TARDIS. Malcolm, I see it. Good. Means I'm not hallucinating. 
And How can the ship be bigger oh. on the inside than the outside? Not expecting a hologram. <laughs> I wasn't either, and then uh, I, I was uh, very interested to see where this was going at this point, because even at this point, I think there were already rumors about uh, possible Doctor Who crossovers. Yep, and this oh, and really? this was before the Doctor Who relaunched. Yeah, but uh, at this point, I think there were rumors that they were going to start working on it. And, of course, on Warp 588, we brought it in. And with that... I never watched Doctor Who. I've seen a few of the season one, like back in the Doctor number one, but uh, that's all that I've seen. He's got to go get a spanner back. The the modern show is very different. (laughs) Yeah, I hear it is, yeah. So I gotta tell you, being a, a Star Trek geek, he says, "Hand me that hypospanner," and then I'm sitting there trying to put down the, you know, the, you know, what hypospanner, you know, what it is and what it would do, and you know, you couldn't have just dropped a screwdriver, you know, you got to drive the hypospanner, which you know, it looks like a, a bar, basically. This, gets this is nice. Like, look at all this burning. Like, there was clearly some type of explosion on this ship, right? Is it burning? Because I always saw it as like an organic. Really? Yeah. Yeah. To me, it looks like burnt. Like the it inside looks of the like ship an is explosion. Burnt. That is true. Yeah. That is true. Like fire, like burned. Like maybe it could have started here. Maybe. What do you think? A warp reactor? Yeah, the engineer. So how many decks did they go down? Did they go seventy-nine decks? <laughs> The only ship that has 79 decks is the Enterprise A. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that is a re- and that's only if you go and up. And that's a reference to Star, Star Trek, Trek 5. All right. Sir, a vessel's dropped out of warp. They're on an intercept course. It's Sulabon. Kind of ancient Egypt going here a little bit. We're getting into the tomb that hasn't been opened in apparently a long time. Minimal got some of that with the, uh, the, the dust and smoke coming out, too. And the mummy... The Boris Karloff knockoff. I wonder if they Paramount asked per, Universal if they could do that. You have something that belongs to us. This I ship just looks like bad that. to the bone. I mean, you don't have to tell me what it is. It just looks. I don't know if it's Sulabon or what. It just looks bad to the bone flying in here, though. Looks like a radiator. That ship's an Earth vessel. The pilot's human. I'm not interested in the corpse. Decompress your launch bay and release the vessel. But it, I wonder why they wouldn't have used uh, uh, John. I'm what's curious. it? John Shuck's character. Uh, oh, Silic. Silic. I wonder why they wouldn't yeah. have used Silic in this episode. Yeah, that was uh, um, Fleck. Yeah. Now they're charging weapons. You might want to contact your superiors. Ask for a man named Silic. It's kind of cool though if they bring in another. You know, it kind of widens out the. They they name dropped him at least. Such a neat skin tone on those aliens. It's like a sandpaper or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, this to me, I don't know if you guys see it yet, but this looks like an orb. That door yeah. looks like one of the boxes for the orbs. Yep. It does look kind of like that, that Bajoran shape to it. Valhalla. It's got little bits of uh, everything from yeah. this future Star Trek. Kind of like, uh, you know, they've, they've taken the design elements from everybody and incorporated it into one thing. Nice. But you know, that kind of comes back around, not to hit any spoilers yet, but that does come around later. Forward plating is holding. Bring us about, Travis. Power the phase cannons. See what you can do about their weapons. So what does the plating do? Is it... I never quite understood that. What is their... When they... When they put the plating on the on the hull plating... Um, from what I understand, basically the when they put a current through it, the uh, molecules realign and it makes the metal harder. So it, it takes more hits to penetrate the, the the metal. Nice. The guy jumps off the ceiling. My I looked at my boys today when they were watching that, and they thought that was like their eyes got really big when the guy comes out of you know, appears. <laughs> Someone's trying to open launch bay two. Lock them out. Yeah, these phasers, they can't break glass. That's some tough glass. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, transparent aluminum was invented in 1986, apparently. Send a security team down there. Return fire. Not now, Madeline. 
and according to the books, you know, he was later on the uh, the, the project for the uh, the DY series ships. And bring the grappler online, sir. They wanted that ship pretty badly. I'd like to know why. So I rewound this a few times, and they depressurized to get the the ship out. But they didn't succeed, I guess. Yeah, they were trying to depressurize the, the the base so that they could open up the doors. But everybody's still there. I mean, we didn't we didn't get the effect yeah. of the depressurize. I was trying to figure yeah. out how they got it out because I hadn't caught that until today about how they didn't get it out. By the way, Hoshi locked them out, sir. I can't. They got to work on that. Okay, I mean, we're going to give Enterprise a break on this, but. They can't get it done in original series. They can't get it done in TNG. They can't get it done in Voyager, DS, D Space Nine. We got to work on that that lockout system. Hopefully, we won't have another visit from the Sulabone before we reach the rendezvous point. It was heavily shielded. Whatever this thing is, it must be pretty important. What'd you guess? Might be the black box. It could tell us what happened. So we're asking the Vulcans for help. Archer didn't like doing that. He doesn't like to ask for help from the Vulcans. From anyone, really. You're not going to believe your eyes. Bigger on the inside. Sick page, Captain Archer. Archer. To have taken this thing apart, man, it, it could be a bomb. It could be an alarm clock. <laughs> Who cares? We shot, we shot the door open with a phaser, right? A phase pistol, sorry. It's full of stolen music from Napster. Oh, <laughs> no, but I did discover that our guest is no ordinary human. I found a, an unusual deviation in this nucleotide sequence. So here we go, human-Vulcan hybrid. Bang! Instantly, as soon as you hear that, you think Spock. The chromosome structure. So I widened my search yep. to include the interspecies database. This nucleotide sequence is Vulcan. Clearly from the future. See, it's interesting that they say that. They're like, because Archer's like, how is it possible to have a human-Vulcan hybrid? We haven't known the Vulcans that long, right? And so us as an audience, we, we immediately assume this thing is from the future, right? Yeah. As soon as we hear something like that. But, but at it's the good same that time, they write that. Yeah. At the same time, though, you know, we've had in contact with the Vulcans for 100 years. Maybe it's just nobody knew. Well, he said it's longer than a great-grandfather. Yeah. Like uh, for the DNA, it's it's no, that that's true. That. Yeah. So he's like, we haven't known him that long, and uh, yeah, yeah. But, so, but instantly, again, you think instantly of Spock, human Vulcan hybrid, right? And then he's he mentions about how it's all kinds of stuff, even things he can't identify yet. So, mm -hmm. several generations, maybe Cardassian. I'm kind of interested how that lock works. I mean, they just kind of stick it on the door handle, but what's stopping them from prying the door open? And he open? slides it open like a... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a sliding door, and it doesn't seem to prevent the door from sliding. I love the end of that episode, though. We talked about that already when they stopped the end of the episode by putting the lock on the door. That was pretty awesome. I can't... That was a great shot, too. Okay, what can we see in here from the future in this... Uh... Crazy well, map thing. Vulcan ship with three rings uh, mm. for uh, warp drive. That's cool. Few Vulcans have ever chosen to mate with another species. Worried about. I was hoping to see something like you know the Enterprise D or something like that just scroll yeah, by. I think it'd be funny. Biological differences between the species. It's unlikely we could reproduce. At this point, they could have even thrown the E yeah. in there. What do you guys think of the Enterprise J? I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not too crazy, uh, but I mean that could be it. That was also a an, a potential alternate future, so it might not have even happened in in the regular timeline. If a human, I think the uh, Star Trek Starships is going to be releasing a model of the Enterprise J. Yeah, I saw a photo of it. So this is funny when they're scrolling this because man, they got they need a better search feature there. You know, like a find or something. I think that's it. We could be looking here for a long... Yeah, I'm seeing, like, Klingon Raptor about four or five times now. That's like me searching on the Babel conference for something. I'm, like, just scrolling, trying to find something. Yes, I thought this seemed familiar. A Romulan yes. scout ship and, you know, a, a, a Klingon uh, transport. People who traveled back to study the past, that could be what this pilot was doing. 
So historians from the future, has have you guys ever thought about the possibility about those guys from uh, Captain's Holiday as being a part of the Temporal Cold War? Maybe learn how the because they were from the future. Um, they might not be part of the Temporal Cold War directly, but I mean they could be tangentially involved. They were like twenty seventh century or something, weren't they? Something like that. Yeah, I I do know that uh, Star Trek Online has tied them into the whole Temporal Cold War story. Oh, have they? Yeah, I don't play that. I haven't, I haven't checked that out. So, Laban? No, sir. We can't identify them. Yeah, basically, the, the Taxutat was used by the Tholians to destroy the Nakul's homeworld. Okay. And they're oh, the species from uh, Vosk that went back in season four. Man, the voice that they used for this, like, it sounds so similar to the one from the Tholian web, but mm-hmm. it is, it's different enough, you know? But that squealing that's on there, oh, man, like, these sound so, so cool. I got to tell you, I made that same sound when I saw the Tholians the first time, when I saw this in first run. I was squealing, like, what? Look how amazing that ship looks. When the head pops up on the screen in a, in a minute here, it's just awesome. This is Captain Archer of the Starship. Yeah, there's so, like, you're not expecting it, you know? Like, when I was watching this for my rewatch back in January, and they're like, Tholians, I'm like, like, I just sat up in my chair like, whoa. And I've seen this episode a couple of times, but I forgot that they were in it. It's just you're not expecting them because they're just out of nowhere, you know? And then the Tholians get play a huge part in a Vanguard series, the original ser- uh, mm-hmm. original series Vanguard uh, book series. Oh man, knowing what you know that after that, and now watching it here, very cool. And then what we get to see of them in uh, in a mirror darkly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that also ties back into the books because the way that they were described in uh, the Lost Era novel, The Sundered, is almost exactly how they appeared on screen. Or I'll destroy the ship in our launch bay. Except in that book, they were described as having tails. Yeah, because in the in the Tholian web, you only see just a little bit of the face, right? And it's yeah. I never I never caught that it was supposed to be hot when I watched that until I read the books and they described it as a hot atmosphere. And that was prior to watching Enterprise back in you know two thousand and well, three or whatever this was, right? But because um, you just hear this, see this weird blue and red colors on the screen uh, when that when that Tholian is talking to Kirk. I didn't catch it that it was hot. I thought it was just poor reception, you know, or just they mm-hmm. didn't match that well when I watched it. Of course, when I watched original series, it was on a black and white cabinet TV, you know, like old school, and we actually had an aerial, so it could have really been static. <laughs> <laughs> May I join you? Please. Man, that's... I found another nucleotide sequence in the pilot's genome. That shot, we just missed, we were talking about that, but that overhead mm-hmm. shot of the Enterprise, like there's a lot of great shots of the Enterprise from above in this series. Absolutely agree. They really started to expand what they did with the camera angles for outside the ships. Ah, you seem to be engrossed in your work. Flox well. is my favorite character. Yep. I like Flox. I like this scene where they're he's eating and she's you know being annoyed. <laughs> This, they could do this. They do this several episodes throughout the whole series, but I just, I love the banter. Mm, more mysteries. Mm-hmm. Of course, the first time he actually takes food off of her fork or off of her plate and eats it, you know, when we got to see that. So knowing that she probably like covers her plate every time now she eats with Fox. Genetic anomalies, unexplainable alloys, the evidence seems to be mounting. Perhaps. Ah. The Vulcan science. So I, I, you had posted something the other day there, Jeff, about like some time travel thing where some scientists sent a light beam back into the past or something. I got to say that I'm definitely with the Vulcan science director that I don't think, I really don't think time travel is possible. Well, it could follow the quantum model that was used in uh, um, uh, the 2009 Star Trek film where uh, by going back in time, you create a new timeline. So, you know, if you're in the prime timeline where everybody's leaving from, you're never going to see the effects in your own past. So Flox is here using Denoblians like we would humans where we thought we were the only thing in the universe. Are you saying you believe time travel is possible? Surprises. And, of course, we had to change what we were thinking. I believe in embracing surprises. I prefer to embrace logic. 
kind of calls back to uh, the first episode, too, where uh, Flox was telling Archer, if you want to embrace new worlds, you need to embrace new ideals. And she's talking about embracing logic. Right. And she's, like, shutting herself off from everything else. Assuming that is the power grid. That boggles the mind if you think about it. Oh, it does. That ship could be from the 31st century. At the very least, they uh, cleaned that thing up after they took it out of the ship. It's kind of shiny now. You're probably the kind of person that jumps to the end of the book. Well, when they opened the door, it was shiny in there, right? When they took oh, it out, because it mean, was behind a door. It, the uh, the outside of the casing looks shinier than it did in that that original shot. If Daniels came here and offered you a chance to go to the 31st century, you wouldn't take it. Was it like a Kindle in his hand? I'm not sure how they uh, they have accomplished that effect. Things are better left to mystery. I think it was just like a little gel with a light behind it. But I mean, it's about the same size. Hand me that micro caliper. Get her techno babble micro caliper. Well, I gotta so. tell you, if this is a micro caliper, I'd hate to see the big version. You know, the the unmicro caliper. Yeah, that's pretty big for a micro. I'm sure a dentist used one of that to pull my wisdom teeth. I'm just going to use the micro caliber instead of the big version, you know. Yeah, then you got the regular just caliper and then the macro caliper. My goodness. How many times do I have to tell you? The right tool for the right job. Did you marry her for love? Because some book told you to. Life we're happily ever after. What difference does it make? It's an interesting idea here. Like, if you read this book, what would you do? You know, like... Mm-hmm. Is, uh, are you doing it because you want to or because you were told to? We've got power. I yep. like this interaction. Talking this is about, a nice uh, this is predestination nice. paradoxes there. Their friendship did evolve very well. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of felt forced in Shuttlepod 1, but it did evolve quite well. I don't think it ever hit the heights of, uh, of uh, Bashir and uh, O'Brien, right? I think that's what they were trying to go for, was a Bashir-O'Brien pairing. But uh, it, it definitely, in, in this episode quite a bit, you can feel that friendship. Now for the the mind bleepery. Where's an herbivore? <laughs> this when I remember seeing this for the first time. When this happened, I'm just like, what? What just happened? Yeah, for when I first saw this, I thought that uh, the uh, the station had uh, a glitch in their file that they were playing from or something. Okay, so I got to ask this question now to see what you think. So watching this episode, and every time I watch it, I always assume that opening that plate is what causes the time thing. But later on, when Archer and Reed are working on that torpedo, they're nowhere near it. So what do you think is causing this time repeat in here? So the only other thing I could compare it to is, so this is going to be spoilers for 11.22.63, but in 11.22.63, the past kind of fights back, and it doesn't want you to change the past. Now, so this is not quite like that, but I'm almost thinking like the ship knows that they're about to do something that it doesn't want them to do. So the ship creates this temporal loop to try and prevent them from doing it. Okay. Yours yours is well, a way the, bigger uh, sci-fi um, idea than I had. I was just thinking that it was just a faulty whatever. What do you think it is, Jeff? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I see a couple of ways of explaining this. It could be um, that opening that panel released the radiation that caused the later problems, and it just accumulated over time. Okay. Um, or... Like you were saying, um, the ship is kind of self-aware because it's got the bioneural circuits and there is a history of artificial intelligence in Star Trek universe prior to when this ship comes from. Yeah, because, you know, later on they don't open that door, but they're trying to put that warhead in the uh, inside of it to blow it up. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no, I don't want them to do that to me. So maybe it's the ship that's creating it somehow. That's very possible, yes. The radiation could have affected your perception of time. Or... Maybe they really were reliving the same moment. Hope there's no lasting effects. That would and evacuate the surrounding sections. I don't want to take any That would be uh, <clears throat> quite annoying. How are you coming with the black box? The power's online, but we still can't access the data. Let me know as soon as you find anything. Dismissed. Can I speak with you? I never had an issue with the technology being more advanced than the original series with all the LCDs on the wall and stuff. It's such a neat look for the show. I like it a lot. Uh, it grounds it because, I mean, that's what we would have. and It, it makes it closer to what we would have now. Um, I don't, 
you know, we tried to talk about that with the inconsistencies with the original series, and man, the original series makes it difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the books had a really interesting explanation for it too. Yes, they did. That's for sure. So it it came back to the uh, uh, the Romulan ships being able to control them, and so they they downgraded their technology so that they weren't able to be controlled by the Romulans. It was very so similar to uh, the the. Uh, reboot Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, um, exactly. How they they went back so that their network systems couldn't be hacked. So watch Jonathan Archer's uh, head dodging uh, maneuvers he's got here, man. This guy's got skills. He's hit his head a few times in here, I'm sure. You see how he knows exactly where that thing is. Like to pay to pace in his office, you better know where the beams are. Okay, I love I love this. I, I love the. That they've got us cramped over here on the edge of the saucer section. That's why we've got a window. But man, you better duck down. You know, like how tall is this guy? You know, because if he's if he's over six feet, you're in trouble. Paul looks way better in season three when they just just arch her eyebrows up. I recommend we go to tactical alert. Let her have her own hair. I think this might be her own hair right here. Boy, that's. But ju- just the fact that the her, she's got her normal eyebrows and they don't arch up just it doesn't look that's right. That's true. They didn't get her in a uniform, but at least they kind of let her have some other things to soften her up. It's in a black box. We thought it was a data storage matrix, but after we got the power running, it started generating a subspace signature. I think it's a microtransmitter. There's so many great angles that they use in this show because it's so tight, you know? They have the camera that moves around quite a bit, follows them through these tight corridors. On my way. Acknowledged. It's a really great set, too. Oh, man, the details on this is just amazing. This is like... this. It was meant to be shot in high def. It is shot in high def. The labels on every panel, this is just... It's art. And unlike Next Generation, the labels actually say something... That's real. And not quotes from Gilligan's Island or Buckaroo Banzai. They're matching our speed. It's just, and we never find out in this episode, but it's like, what do these people want in this ship? You know, and I'm okay with the fact that we never find out. But it's like, wow, what is it in here that all these people want, and how did they find out? That's what about I was it? thinking. How did they, how does everyone know about it? And they just kind of stumble across it again, you know, like, kind of like stumbling into trouble. Well, we know the the Sulaban are working for a, a faction from the future, and you can imagine that they would want to level the playing field and maybe have a little bit more of a say in what's going on with them. So this ship might give them that ability. And then the Tholians apparently seem to be interested in time travel, and that's followed up in Season 4 with uh, the Mirror uh, Universe two-parter, because the Tholians there, they're playing with dimensional rifts and that also travel through time. And so they bring the Defiant back from the future of the Prime Timeline into the Mirror Universe. And again, for the same reason, they're trying to get advanced technology that they can use. We're losing ventral plating. The Vulcans. 600,000 kilometers. They're seeing the, uh, the, the typical, we're out gun. We're trying to outrun them to the big, our big brother, the Vulcans. We got, we got them hot on our tail here. This happens a few times. 200,000 kilometers. Take us out of war. Those little, I don't know, hexagon-like ships, those Suleiman ships are neat. It's... They actually blew one of them up. I thought those things, those are really tough, the cell ships. That's what they've mentioned. That's a great shot coming up on that destroyed Vulcan ship. Yep, letting the air out of the sail there, I would say. Like, what's going on here? And then, whoosh. All those Tholian ships just come up from behind. Captain. I've got for the, the Tholian ship from the Star Trek uh, Starships collection. Yeah, I love that. Um, it, it's really good. That that Eagle Moss collection is just some incredible detail on those ships. And they're a sponsor for our uh, Ready Room show right now. That's true, yeah. And then this, like, so the Tholians are attacking them on one side. The Suluban are coming from the other side. They kill their warp field so they stop. And then the Suluban and the Tholians just start fighting each other. And it's like, oh, my goodness. This, this episode is awesome. Talk about feeling 
helpless though. You're just sitting there and can't do anything. Can't get away. Can't do anything. But they're, you're, you're so not important that they're just fighting all around you. And all you can do is just sit and wait for the winner to come, you know, finish you off. Oh, that would be so frustrating. <laughs> Every power relay on the ship's been scrambled. Then forget everything else. Get that beacon working. Sir, whoever built that ship might be able to send help. Hi, Captain. Whatever the Tholians have, we've got to figure out a defense for that. So I'm going to jump a little bit ahead in this episode here because it might take a little bit of for us to talk about this. So Trip activates this device, right? And within a minute, everything like the ship is gone... Uh, it's taken away. And he, at the end of the episode, he's talking about how, um, well, how, how did it happen so quickly? And Archer says, well, time doesn't matter to these people. They could have done it at, at any time. The way that the ship disappears, do you think that they took it from this time or a previous time? And then, like, so did they go back farther and and get the ship before they got it and so now it's wiped it from this timeline? Or do you think they just took it from now? Wow, I had not even thought about that because they could have talked. They could have taken it from a past, and then boom, it's out of this timeline. It just erases itself. I had not have thought of that. I would say that they're taking it from this timeline though, because they don't. They don't all disappear at the same time. I guess they could. I guess they could be disappearing all at the same time. We're just the way we're seeing it and we're experiencing it is in sequential order. But this could all be happening at exactly the same time. I think it's more that they are taking it from this point in the timeline rather than earlier, because that would have eliminated the entire chain of events of this episode. It would have been a literal reset button on the episode. But, uh, you know, then from their perspective, they wouldn't get the signal to rescue the, uh, the pod in the first place if this chain of events didn't play out. So then that would have caused a paradox. Star Trek never does paradoxes. Yeah, hey, I've got to tell you right there. <laughs> so here we, we go. We got uh, Archer pulling his communicator out of his sleeve like a boss. You know, let me see Kirk try that. Yep. Let's see. Let's see Cisco pull that one. All right. Spock had some pretty sweet moves with uh, pulling out the technology, though. That is true. <laughs> so here they are. So they're they're going through now. Uh, Reed and Archer are going through this repeat, and we learn here now because everything's going on that. This repeat is also isolated to this room that they're in. And the and the time repeat is not happening anywhere else. Like that's just not a mind bleepery of its own right there. Like how can how can you just have one pocket of time repeating itself? Well that kind of ties in with uh um Einstein talking about uh, gravity affects time. So you have you could have time flowing in one uh speed in one spot and another speed in another spot. That's way like too close to a, a a black hole. <laughs> How the time slows down. And then you factor in, you know, tachyons and who knows what they can do. I have a repair team working on it, but they estimate it will take. I don't know, but they dress very tacky. I was expecting the field to be, I don't know, I was expecting it to get bigger. So just imagine what it would look like if the ship was completely engulfed. What would that look like from the outside of the ship? <laughs> if the whole entire ship keeps reliving a moment over and over <laughs> Brandon Breger write this one? No, he didn't. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that four minutes. That's only an estimate, Sam. Imagine how frustrating that'd be. He's like, okay, we're almost done, we're almost done, we're almost done. Reset. Oh. <laughs> Let's hope we've got it down by now. How many times do you think we've done this? It is interesting that they do retain some memory from the previous loops. Getting mm-hmm. really good at this. It's kind of like uh, the the Next Generation episode, Cause and Effect, where they were retaining memory. Man, that's my favorite security guard right there. So is this a Tholian coming in here, you think? Um, like that's a Tholian trying to break in, right? It could be. Um, the books were saying that you know they had uh, environment suits to go into uh, you know, oh, okay. atmospheres. Because I just remember in Animator Darkly when they changed the temperature and the thing like cracked, right? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, without the right temperature and pressure, it would shatter. But, I mean, they could have pressure suits. They actually have Tholian mm-hmm. silk suits about 100 years from now. Mm-hmm. So these their their tech is so like out there that they, they wear silk. Like 
skin. Oh yeah, that's right. They mentioned Tholian silk like tons of times. I'd recommend putting more distance between us and that ship. Now! The other thing is uh, the comics, um, the uh, the early Voyages comics, actually had uh, some mentions of the Tholians conquering other races and using them to be basically like shock troops like the Remans. And that was kind of hinted at in uh, in A Mirror Darkly when they had the slaves, uh, the humanoid slaves working on the Defiant. Yeah, and here we go. Everything starts disappearing. So, yeah, I was thinking about that the second time I watched it. I'm like, hmm, did they take everything now or did they take everything earlier? Yeah, I think if they had taken everything earlier, it would have totally disrupted the chain of events and... No one would have any memories of anything happening, and uh, it would have caused a paradox with them not getting the signal to rescue the stuff that they just rescued. <laughs> so the Tholians destroyed the Vulcan ship, but then, boy, you would think they would be just ticked off that they lost what they came for. They would be, you know, they'd go ahead and finish off the Enterprise. Man, that's a great... Yeah, that's a great leave. shot when they leave with the, the flashes mm -hmm. of them going to warp. That's so awesome. The Vulcans? Their warp drive is damaged, but life support is stable. Let's see if we can give them a hand. Prep shuttle pod. Have Dr. Flox meet us in launch bay one. It, it is interesting that the Tholians weren't uh, going for fatal uh, shots on any of the ships. They were just trying to disable the uh, the Vulcan and the human ships so they could get their prize and be gone. Hmm. That's not very Tholian of them. I would have expected them. They were like a conquering race. They didn't think that the bipeds were worth their time. Yeah, it, it was, showed a lot of restraint on their part, actually. I wish we'd had more time to explore that ship. Who knows how many other rooms are down there? The only thing we didn't get in this episode that I wish we would have got was the Tholian web somehow. That would have been best. I know we get it in season four, but... Is that plumbing soup she's eating? Could be. It's not purple. That could have been cool if they had come out of warp and the uh, Vulcan ship is in a web. Oh, there you go. Like just crushing it. The web is crushing it right when they come out of warp. Yeah, like they did in uh, season four. But we would have seen a complete web completely finished. You know, right when they come out of warp, right as the Vulcan ship crushes or something. And you don't get to see how it was made. They don't know how it was made. They just know that it... What is that? Yeah. And we would exactly. know. <laughs> Sub Commander. It looked like Archer was having eggs and strawberries and something. Maybe he's having breakfast for dinner. Maybe breakfast for breakfast. I'm going to contact the High Command. Apologize for the trouble we caused them. As the captain of the Talkir pointed out, a ship can be replaced. I also need to thank them for helping us out. I'm sure the gesture would be appreciated. Yeah, it's too bad we never got a follow-up on this this plot. Like, we never hear anything of the events of this episode again. Like, it's such a cool episode. How, does this rank highly for you guys, this episode? Like, this is my favorite Enterprise episode. Yeah, I, I love all of the time travel episodes. This is a really well done one. Because they don't know anything about these people that are traveling from the future, as they should. You know, I mean, it's, they have, there's no reason that they should know anything about these uh, Beyond what we see in uh, the, that they know here, yeah, I like I love this episode. It's got a lot of stuff going for it. You've got the the Doctor Who like you know, ship with the spatial geometry. You've got the Tholians and the Sulaban. You don't really know what's going on. It's constant action to me. There's a clock ticking. Um, they've got a bomb disarm rearm situation going on. So it's got a lot, mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, and it even has some character development there, like earlier with uh, Trip and Malcolm, even, you know, when they were they were talking about when they were working on the microtransmitter. Again, if that's a microtransmitter, what's the size of, what's the big one? The macro. Like? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely like this episode. It's. Uh, it's it's just nonstop. It's like the foot on the gas kind of thing. 
It almost seems know. like they there were some things maybe cut out too, like maybe edited out. Like we had like like that cold open, like right away. There's that ship. We didn't have any pulling into a system. We've our sensors have picked up something, and then it's revealed to us. We were just boom right in there on it. So it's almost like, you know, they probably had to cut out a little bit just to make it all fit. Well, season two was a little shorter than season one. They're 42 and with credits, 42 minutes, right? Yeah, actually, I don't know. Mm, something like that, yeah. Yeah, 42, 53 for this episode. So, yeah, I I really like this. I, I, I really like this episode. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for uh, suggesting this. And I, I know you had mentioned the t- coming on and talking about this, but we hadn't actually done it. I hadn't thought about doing a commentary at that time. But yeah, this is this is a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun for me too. This is my first official commentary for Trek FM. Yeah. So, Jeff, what what do you think about that episode? I really enjoyed it. I mean, there was there was a lot of really good stuff going on. They did a really good job of keeping the mystery of this, you know, individual from the future, you know, and they don't really find anything out about this person, mm-hmm. which they shouldn't. Because even in Kirk's time, by the first season time travel is still kind of a you know a mystery until they figure out how to do it themselves you know but by that point they know that it's a thing because when it happens they're like oh yeah we've traveled in time oh hey um it's not a big surprise that it happened they just finally figured out a way that they can do it and repeat Mm -hmm. the process i completely agree yeah this was fun fun doing a commentary this was this is nice the first of many probably uh, it's been a lot of fun commenting on future tense, but this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM. So here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. You know, Star Trek All Access gives you a great acronym, though. STAR! STAR, yeah. Yes. <laughs> STAR! <laughs> yeah, the upward <laughs> angle on the... Yeah, totally get it. To the journey! He tweets out, you know, like, hey, walking around with my mobile emitter, you know, hashtag blessed. You know, it's just, I'm sure that's what he's doing. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> yep, yep, he's, uh, he's taking photos of his holographic non-dinner. Continuing mission. If you notice, my guest star in that one was Doug Drexler himself. Yes. One of, one of the great Star Trek mimes, Doug Drexler, he kind of changed the lines a little bit to actually be what he thought would have been in a Starfleet inquest. Saturday Morning Trek. What I had to assure the fans when I talked at the convention or conventions was this is not going to be a kiddie show. This is not going to be a baby show. We are doing Star Trek. And we were able to do Star Trek in some ways a better way because we could have wonderful spaceships, we could have wonderful aliens, wonderful planets, and we still had good stories. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link there as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. And if you like what you hear on Warp 5 or any of the Trek FM network shows, please leave us a star rating and a review. That'll help us greatly increase our visibility for new listeners. And we actually have a couple, actually three new star reviews and the U.S. iTunes store. So, Jeff, uh, would you read those for us, please? Uh, yeah, we got uh, one from Badmiral Mike. Uh, he gave us a five-star review, thank you very much, called Fresh Perspective. The new hosts are amazing. My wife and I are currently re-watching Enterprise, and Warp 5 is a great companion piece. Download this podcast and find out why you should be watching the most underrated Star Trek show. Thank you very much, Badmiral Mike. They might call you Badmiral, but hey... If you if you like Warp Five, you can't be all that bad. Right? That's epic, Bad Merle. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, from FJ Steven, we got also a five star review. It says, "Love this network. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Just recently found Trek FM. Warp Five covers my f- secret favorite series. Great hosts and a good time." Yeah, thank you, FJ Steven. It doesn't have to be a secret. I guess it used to be my secret series, but now no, it's not a secret anymore for me. 
You loudly proclaim it from the roof. Exactly. Well, clearly the uh, the the producers of uh, the people responsible for making the most recent Star Trek film also love Enterprise because there have been Enterprise references in all three of the Kelvin timeline films. That is true. That is true. We also have a five star review. Thank you very much from Stronger Than Zeton, and it's titled "A Needed Voice for the Future." The Warp 5 podcast is a great podcast about the most underrated, yet dare I say, best Star Trek show made to date. The roundtable discussions of the exploits of the NX-01 give new life to this beloved show. I hope more people listen to this podcast and can become fans of this great show. So thank you very much, Stronger Than Zeton, for the five-star review. And folks, that actually brings our Blu-ray review contest total up to 19 since January 1st. So thank you so much for those of you that have rated and reviewed our show since January 1st. And like the goal was, was to get at least 20 before September. And it looks like we're probably going to make it. I don't want to jinx us here, but it looks like we're probably going to make it. So we are definitely going to be activating that Blu-ray drawing, the full journey Blu-ray drawing, as soon as we get 20 or more between now and September. That would be great to give that away to a Warp 5 listener. And I actually was watching my full journey Blu-ray set for this commentary. And it's packed full of all the goodies that you like. Mm -hmm. It actually has a behind the scenes up for this episode. There's a 17 minute behind the scenes on how they filmed this episode on that. So it's good stuff. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash Trek FM, you'll find all our current goals and different milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credit, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Also, if you want to wear your Trek FM fandom or lay your head on it if you want to get a pillow, you can find our great Trek FM merchandise at redbubble.com. Just type Trek FM into the search field. I always like to take this time to thank my co-associate producer, Mike Morrison. You can find Mike on the Babel Conference, Trek FM's dedicated Facebook listeners group. You can also hear Mike over on his new show, Metatrex, where he and Zachary Fruling discuss all things philosophical through a Star Trek lens. And i like to give a shout out here to Christopher Jones, our Warp 5 editor and producer. Without his help and work, we can't bring this show to you. So thank you so much, Christopher. We love you, you Chris. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, we can always find us on trek.fm slash contact. Look at the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash Trek FM. You can also contact us through Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And as we've mentioned earlier, the Babel Conference, type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me here for my first commentary. It wasn't your first commentary, but I had a great time. Thank you so much, Brandon, for suggesting this. Yeah, you're very welcome. I had a great time, and I'm glad to, glad to be on Warp 5, and hopefully this is the first of many. That sounds good. Yeah, we can, we'll, uh, we'll get the schedules lined out. Maybe it won't take six months again or seven months for it to happen <laughs> again. Yeah, if uh, our listeners would like to talk to you about how many other versions of the enterprise theme song there are, how can they contact you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Matella. Uh, you can find me on the Babel conference every once in a while talking about Trek. Uh, but I'm on many, many, many episodes of our 50th anniversary rewatch project called from there to here. And, uh, there's actually, so 366 days and I'm going to be on 110 of the 366 days so uh that's been a lot of fun and uh by the end of the whole thing i will have actually talked about at least one episode from every season of every show and a movie from each of the franchises so uh, i i tried to space it out quite a bit there because uh, i love star trek and all star trek uh, but the main way you can find me is here on the network with new episodes of Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of the Star Trek franchise. And my first episode on that was episode number 25. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. I started this past January and I love Star Trek music. Well, thank you again, Brandon, for coming on. We hope to have you on here as soon as we can. Uh, Jeff, if our listeners would like to 
discuss with you the pros and cons of the ninth century future tech that we saw here on this last episode, uh, how can they contact you? Well, if you don't have access to an Atavacron or even a space pod that's bigger on the inside, possibly stolen, you can always find me on the Babel Conference on Facebook. I'm the co-host on the network for both Warp 5 and Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated original series show. I'm also on Twitter at Harlander, and I'm a supporter of the network through Patreon. You can check out my website. It's been called The Grand Unified Theory of Star Trek at trekopedia.com and my independent comics at bandwidthcomics.com or search on Facebook for Bandwidth Comics. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me on the Babel Conference, the Trek FM listeners page on Facebook. Yep. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. But all this time travel stuff has kind of given me a little bit of a headache. <laughs> so I think I'm going to go take some, go talk to Flox and maybe get a spray of something in the neck here. Jeff, why don't you take us out? Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. And join us again next time for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs> <laughs>